some of the ISPs have the 911 system or E911 systems. They'll have paging systems for the actual police systems, you know, banks, hospitals. Those are who you guys' customers are, and that's those, those are the networks they want to go after. Hello, you are listening to the Community Broadband Bits podcast from the Institute for Local Self-Reliance. This is Lisa Gonzalez. This week's podcast is a departure from our usual presentations on policy or a profile of a specific municipal network. In this episode, Chris and his guests get more technical as they discuss security needs associated with ISPs. Regardless of the size of the provider, security is critical. In this interview, Chris speaks with Weston Hecker, Senior Systems Security Analyst and Pen Tester for KLJ. You can learn more about the firm at kljeng.com. Weston helps us understand more about what is happening under the surface. We feel it only fair to warn you that this conversation is pretty technical. You will certainly walk away with a new appreciation for network security. Now here are Chris and Weston. Welcome to another edition of the Community Broadband Bits Podcast. I'm Chris Mitchell. Today I'm speaking with Weston Hecker, a Senior Systems Security Analyst and Pen Tester for KLJ. Welcome to the show. Yeah, thanks for inviting me. You know, your name is not very LISP-friendly, or your title is not very LISP-friendly with the Senior Systems Security Analyst. <laughs> <laughs> That's kind of a mouthful. It just takes up half the email uh, bottom also, so... Yes. Um, what is uh, what is pen testing? You're a pen tester. What does that mean? Uh, basically, it's pen test is short for penetrations test, which is basically where uh, somebody takes an outside look at a network as if they were an attacker, and then they find the vulnerabilities and close them before the attackers actually do. And it's done with hands-on weeding, like we actually go through and actually try to penetrate the systems as the hackers or the bad black hat hackers would. Yeah, I was actually going to ask if you're required to wear a white hat when you're at work. <laughs> yeah, that that would be the designation. I do have a certified ethical hacking and CISSP, so there's some certifications that allow people to, you know, be more professional when it comes to some of the security audits. There's background checks that I have to go through and things like that. So it does bring us up to a certain level of professionalism. It's not just somebody with a little bit of Linux experience trying to hack into a network. Well, I think maybe some of our listeners are, are, are wondering what I'm up to with this episode. So um, why don't you tell us a little bit about KLJ and, and who some of your clients are? We're an engineering company, uh, about 800 people, and we've been doing pen testing for the last two years. I've per- personally been doing it for the last 10 years professionally. So and it's something that um, I was brought into the telecommunications department just because of the amount of security vulnerabilities and flaws and the lack of expertise in some of the small areas. Uh, that people are living. So in smaller cities, it's really hard to get a hold of security staff. And uh, that's something, that's a gap that KLJ has been filling for two plus years now. And like I said, professionally, I've been doing it for about 10 years. And um, yeah, as far as uh, pen testing of ISPs, it's something that uh, we've grown very, very accustomed to, especially with some of the more obscure gear, Calyx brocade, the stuff that you won't find in the enterprise environments. One of the things that I think people might want to be reminded of is that when it comes down to small ISPs, even the largest municipal network would be considered a, a small ISP. And and so I guess a, a question might be, why should small ISPs be concerned with security? There's a lot of things that they push out to other companies, such as third-party billing, third-party patch management. There's third-party pretty much everything for as far as it goes because it's too small to take care of it in-house with staff. 
they usually implement uh, like a Linux box that's running specific software, specified software. And uh, what I've seen lately is a lot of those systems have been up for 1,300 days, 456 days, or you know, just some extreme range where they're still shell shockable and all these vulnerabilities have come out. And it's just something that it's a full hand task just to keep these systems patched and up to date. And not a lot of people uh, in smaller areas are able to have somebody with a lot of hands-on Linux or security experience, like I was saying also. So it seems to only be, for the most part, an ISP problem. Most of the rest of the world is comfortably uh, dealing with Windows-based operating systems and something that they're a little bit more familiar, a little bit more graphically based. Some of the more obscure services that ISPs have to deal with, they all run on Linux platforms for the most part. And and the actual vendors don't keep them up to date as well as they should without r- ridiculous service contracts in some cases. So what is the actual threat that a small ISP might might face? I mean, I, I might think, well, I'm a small ISP in a Midwestern city. No one's going to try and attack me here. I mean, why would they? Yeah, and that's a lot of the mentality that people in North Dakota, where our main branch is based out of, uh, also got until the oil boom came along. Or, you know, like some of the ISPs have the 911 system or E911 systems, they'll have the paging systems for the actual police systems, you know, banks, hospitals. Those are who you guys' customers are, and that's those Those are the networks they want to go after. Not only to mention your guys' bandwidth uh, has been used in denial of service attacks. A lot of people were doing reflection attacks because uh, a lot of the smaller telcos and uh, ISPs actually had misconfigured uh, DNS services. So they were actually attacking their upstream and downstream people. A lot of those gaps have been fixed and a lot of that stuff's been taken offline, but it just goes to show how it's, you know, a full-time task stand on top of some of those things. I guess one of the things you might think about then as an ISP is, am I paying for bandwidth that I don't have to because somebody has compromised the system of mine and they're they're using it to just, you know, flood an area? You know, if some of these reflection attacks, it may not be very large, but it, I'm sure it adds up over time. Oh, yeah. Uh, the largest ones of, you know, gotten in the 300 range for as far as uh, that's pretty much the entire backbone of the internet. Some of the reflection attacks, they were able to kick down, you know, 300 gigabit throughput and stuff like that. So it's something that definitely was a problem. And it was, uh, yeah, with the nature of the reflection attacks, it, um, with a little bit of configurations or best practices that were followed, they were able to mitigate a lot of this stuff. And it's something that you will definitely see on your utilization, especially for being charged for some of that stuff. So, and one of the bigger things that people are stealing is uh, PRI and SIP services. And over some week, one weekend, I've seen where you know people will get like thirty thousand dollars phone bills from having hijacked um, uh, SIP and PRI services. So basically, people are making calls to the legitimate numbers or numbers that have been also hijacked. And that's one of the scams that's running out there as far as when people use default codes and things like that that are built into systems. And that's something that it's nice to be able to do hands-on with pen testing, is I have scripts that will check all that stuff. And you know, it isn't all about you know buying expensive software or anything like that. A lot of the stuff can be manually checked by just running a couple scripts before the bad guys run the exact same kind of script. So as you're mentioning the scripts, if I was an ISP and I and I hired you, what are the sorts of things that you would do? Can you get into that in a little bit more detail? Yeah, so we have a lot of things for um, not only for optimizing the network in general, um, there's best practice rollouts. And one of the most best starting points for actually getting secure is rolling out an IT framework. That is uh, something that I, I recommend for every single company. A lot of them have uh, simple frameworks that are in place, but there's actual a uh, couple standards that um, are going to be most likely enforced within the next few years, uh, the same way that power companies and uh, banks, hospitals, you know, PIPA, like there's going to be some kind of compliance that's going to be pushed into place. 
And uh, that's going to be nice to have an actual security framework in place now so you guys are rushing something into implementation because that's going to be very, very expensive. And some of these, you know, tasks and processes can take three years in a large company. So with some of the smaller companies, it's nice to be able to get something small in place. And then if you do have to bring a professional in to do that stuff, it keeps them more honest when it comes to the quote time. Yeah, that would definitely be a good starting point for that kind of stuff. Can a lot of the things that, that you're doing, can you do them remotely or do you have to be on site? You know, I have to admit that whenever I, I think about pen testing, I think of, you know, sneakers with uh, the movie where they're breaking into the bank or they're they're doing something that involves a physical axe. Uh, we can do basically the same quality pen testing and vulnerability assessments as if we were on site uh, by send, either sending a laptop or we can take it from the outside and actually break in the exact same way that the bad people would. Yeah, that's something that it's it's very you know inexpensive. A lot of the smaller uh, communities, especially North Dakota and the Midwest in general, uh, all the way down to the mid South and stuff like that, I've seen where people are still charging these people '90s prices, and not every single small ISP can afford a twelve thousand dollar audit or a twenty four thousand dollar audit. That's why there's like a forty five hundred dollar option, or we even have to down to like twelve to thirteen hundred dollars for some of the vulnerability assessments, and it's very very reasonable and. Uh, We've done for a couple of Fortune 500 companies, we've done apples to apples challenges on uh, web application scanning, and we've actually found more because we rely less on our automated tools. We're in there actually doing the hands-on stuff, and that's, that's going to be where it shines. And what happens, uh, you know, one of the things that you and I were, were talking previously and since since you were just mentioning some of the products, I thought it's really worth noting um, that that you had said that for some of your clients that that after a new vulnerability came out, you were willing to, to help them just understand if they were vulnerable or not. And that's something where uh, a lot of the bigger guys, they'll actually have to, they'll have to get a whole new service contract and be able to bring them back in to be able to test for, like, for example, when Heartbleed and Shellshock came out. Um, all the people that we did pen tests for, we went back and actually read, re, uh, scanned everything for them or gave them a portal so that they could actually scan it. And even some of the customers they provided stuff to, they were able to scan to see if their Linux systems or some of the virtualization systems or anything that was shell-shockable, uh, you know, they were able to test that uh, using simple scripts. It wasn't something that they got charged more for. It's just that little extra mile that you know, gives it that down-to-earth, like, small-town feel that people are used to. That's something that I think that we do better than the big guys. I'm not trying to do a sales pitch, but it's just something that there's so many companies right now that are just hiding behind their large names. And, uh, yeah, there's a, they're scurrying to pick up as many security personnel as they can as far as network security. And so what are some of the things that a small ISP can do? Um, you know, some of the things that I think you would just are prophylactic that don't necessarily involve spending a lot of money. Yeah, there's a, a couple of good starting points. Like I was saying, um, if they'd want to shoot contacts, so I could definitely send them some uh, boilerplate framework that they could put in place with security framework. And I love helping people if they have any compliances or questions about that stuff, especially when it comes to HIPAA, uh, PCI, FDIC, stuff like that. That's something I'm definitely uh, well, well versed on, and it doesn't help. It doesn't hurt to ping people once in a while to actually, you know, pick their brain about it. And I always love talking security with people, so. Yeah, if people ever have any questions at all, that's always something I like to help people out with. And like I'm saying, some of that stuff is very, very daunting, and it's, you know, several hundreds of hours of reading, and it can be helpful. It's nice to be able to just send somebody you can actually have a just a straightforward question with. Yeah, we find that in, in this area as well, when we're just in any matter of telecommunications, I feel like uh, there's there's a world of difference between being able to ask a couple of simple questions and being pointed in the right direction versus, um, you know, trying to wade in and, and figure everything out on your own. Oh, yeah. 
I would definitely agree with that. So, um, so one of the things that that I think um, would impact all of our listeners is a lot of times it seems like ISPs they may show up at your house, they set up your service, and and if you don't have your own router or router already, then they may give you one, and and some of those have some pretty significant vulnerabilities. And I'm I'm curious if you've seen any ISPs that do a really good job of making sure that their users' homes are secure, or if you have any best practices you might recommend around that. Um, I've seen where it starts to degrade their service or their actual customers or their IP address ranges are being black flagged. Then I see a lot of people, especially the larger ones, reacting to it. Um, there was an actual framework that was installed in a lot of the customer premise equipment and some of the actual uh, on-site routers and things like that, that where they were able to be accessed with their default passwords and stuff like that and made into huge, large botnets that were used to attack and infect other computers. And that's something that will come across in the pen test and uh, be able to delegate. There's ways that you can check just by, uh, yeah, so if you have manufacturers for as far as your on-site routers and stuff like that, that, that would be a concern. Uh, there's definitely ways that people can, they can be able to check to see if those vendors are up to date or if they have any vulnerabilities and be kept in the loops for that kind of stuff. That's something that, you know, there's simple email lists and uh, we actually host one for uh, like uh, ISP specific gear, you know, if it was shell shockable and questions if, or some of the vulnerabilities that come out, if anybody ever has any questions about ISP-specific stuff that the vendors don't want to step up and tell people right away, that's something we stay on top of. I have to ask, um, something that's that's long been an interest of mine is, I think, making the world a better place in the sense of a lot of spam and a lot of these attacks they come from places where they allow where ISPs allow forged uh, TCP connections, right? And I'm curious now: is this standard practice now for for ISPs to monitor their outbound traffic to make sure that everything that's outbound has a a logical TCP um, origination on it? Um, once again, once it starts to degrade their service, they'll usually bring third parties in, or some of the larger companies will be able to catch it themselves. But as far as that goes, there's no real standardized procedures. There is some stuff with um, uh, getting certain classifications on data centers, like if you're hosting emails or if you're hosting uh, HIPAA-compliant stuff, that if people have data centers, that they'll be kept into these, um, kept in the loops and kept up to date with the best practices with that stuff. But other than that, um, unless it's a great service, I haven't seen many ISPs actually step up with that one. It's something where if it's happening on a small scale, it's most likely ignored until they start getting uh, cease, and desist, cease and desist letters or if they start getting, you know, any financial or uh, legal obligations from it, then it's something. It's almost where they have to be forced to, and, and there's procedures in place where people can actually uh, stop those kind of things from happening. Is it is that an expensive solution to, to do that sort of checking? Well, not not for the most part. Um, Like, that's the thing. A lot of the newer firewalls and things like that will be able to actually... Uh, them as passive services um, because when people buy like some of the you know they'll throw around the keywords like next generation and (laughs) things like that into the firewall sometimes they're not just marketing terms they are actually you know they have some smarts behind them where they're able to connect um, and be able to deeply inspect the traffic without actually cutting down the bandwidth that much and that's where if you want to buy a device it's always good to do research on them and uh, you know there's one that you're familiar with but sometimes you have to reach outside the box and give things a chance that you didn't give a chance a couple of years ago because they were in infancy. I know uh, IDS and IPS systems, when I originally got back into them, uh, it was something I made me cringe because I just remember all these false um, positives where it would tell me that, you know, this was getting attacked or that was getting attacked or this IP address connected from this point. And there were so many false positives and they've worked a lot of that stuff out. So 
if you guys had a bad experience or something in the past, it's always a good chance to give it a second try. All right. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show and giving us a better okay. sense of uh, some of these security questions. Right, perfect. Send us your ideas for the show. Email us at podcast at muninetworks.org. Remember to like us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. We are at Community Nets. Thanks again to Person for the Song Blues Walk, licensed through Creative Commons. And thank you for listening. Have a great day. <laughs>